Nobody falls to the ground. Hey, we're going to continue uh, this series uh, that we've been talking about, and I want to look at a couple passages from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and then uh, then I want to share a couple others that that jump a little bit as we we talk about this this topic of uh, how could a, a good God allow so much pain and suffering in our lives. Now, I'm kind of excited about the school year beginning because uh, we get everybody back from vacation, and that's, that's fun. And so uh, uh, if you're looking for your last couple trips in the next week, um, get them in, and then we get to see you all uh, for the, the fall. Um, but new beginnings is kind of fun. It's kind of fun to launch into it. And though some of you no longer have kids in school, it feels somewhat like we're still kind of dictated our calendar by the school year. And so we say semester and things like that, but we're getting going. And small groups is a big part of it. As we kind of uh, do some, uh, not just revamping, but launch some new groups and some different style groups than we've ever done before uh, are going to happen this fall. So we'd really encourage you to sign up, as Pastor Anson said, and get into one of those small groups and, and uh, really connect in a level of community that maybe you haven't uh, so far. I led a group this summer at my house on Monday nights with uh, several of you that are new to the church had come, and it was, it was pretty awesome time. Um, at least it was for me. <laughs> I don't know if it was for you, but I enjoyed it. Um, so, yeah, good. <laughs> good. Okay, <laughs> that's your promo right there. All right, well, uh, let's, let's jump into that and, and take a look. Um, I want to tell you this morning, as I said before, this topic is only easy if you're not going through something hard or if you have no context whatsoever. If you have no context, then it's very easy to put a kind of a one-line answer on the question of why does a good God allow this? Um, but I want to make another qualifier uh, this morning, and that is I would s- suspect that some of you, like you're in the midst of some of your greatest difficulties and pain, or you're in the aftermath, and in the aftermath, you're still trying to figure out what life really looks like because it's going to be different from here on out. The rest of the way, it will be different for you. And so I want to tell you this morning, I want to be respectful for you to say, there's no easy answer on this subject. Like, there's no simple answer, like, I'm going to put it into a five-word phrase that you can memorize, and then from here on out, you'll have all the existential answers you'll ever need in your life. In fact, at the end of this message, you're still going to ask, well, what about, and what if, and you know what that is? That is God and the Holy Spirit prompting you to study more, to dig further. You don't have to sit back and just say, oh, you know, whatever my pastor says in a half hour and I'm good to go. Keep digging even further because there's so much more out there that God would have than we can do in the next uh, 30 minutes or so. So that's my qualifier. Let's jump into it. I was in my bedroom. I was about 16 years old. Um, and I was new to the church world, but I was going, and I think I've told you in the past, mainly because of pizza and girls, uh, I was at youth group. Um, but I was kind of plugging in, and I was learning a, a few things. My parents came into my house one night, or into my room one night. I didn't own a house at the time. My parents came into my room after youth group one night, about 30 minutes after youth group, and this was over spring break when we didn't have school. And they came into my room about 9 o'clock uh, at night or 9.15. And do you know when you kind of know right away something's wrong? Like something's up right away coming in. Especially I can see it on my mom who wears emotion uh, pretty clearly. So I knew something was up. And she walked in the door and she said, Hey, um, was, it, was it Jimmy who invited you to go out with them tonight? And I said, Yeah, it was Jimmy. 
Um, Jimmy was my age, but older. You know um, how it is where your age, but they got their license before you? Um, that's the best person <laughs> because you get to get out of your house and go um, when that person gets their license. And, and Jimmy got it before uh, uh, Gary and I got ours. And uh, so I said, yeah, yeah, that was, yeah it, was, it was Jimmy. Then it got really serious. And my mom told me that uh, it had just been reported that Jimmy and two of his friends had been killed in a car accident that night, um, headed to a party or coming home that was kind of unclear what was, what was happening. It was still early in the night. I chose not to go to that, to that party because I had my youth program to go to instead at the church. Can I tell you, that is the first time in my life at 16 that I can remember having deep, emotional, painful struggle trying to process that type of thing. You immediately, every single one of you where you sit, you just popped your own story into your head, and you remember. Uh, For me, it was years ago, over 30 years ago. Uh, For some of you, um, that's very fresh, uh, very new to you still in your life. And so for me, I was new to the church, um, and I remember the feeling of asking the question of, why? Why did this happen? Why would somebody uh, like a young 16-year-old who just got their license and has everything in front of them in life, why would they go off and, and be killed? Why would Gary and I, who just as easily could have gone to a party, accepted an invitation or those type of things, I had my youth group, I can't remember the reason Gary didn't go, why would we not have? Would it have been different had we gone to the party, would we have somehow redirected their path because they would have gone a different road? All those questions of why eventually lead us to the question of asking, why God? Why God? If you are an all-powerful and all-loving and an all-knowing God, how is it that these things could actually occur in our life? This is what the sermon focuses on today. This is what our teaching is to ask that question and to say, what do we do with that question in our life? One thing I've learned in my Christianity for sure is we have a big enough God, as I said in the prayer, that he can handle the why question. He wants the why question. Parents, for just a second, a little sidebar. If you're parents of a teenager here today, can I just tell you the best advice I can give you? Let your teenage kid ask the why question. Don't shut them down. They need to ask the, qua- the why, and they need to wrestle with their faith. Because in the wrestling, they can come out the other side strengthened and encouraged in their faith. I'm going to ask the same thing of you this morning on this subject as we walk through it. Let's just wrestle and work through it. So this has actually come up as the number one, according to Barna Research, the number one question that Christians often have and the number one struggle that people have with God. Why is it that a good God would allow such pain and suffering? In fact, theologians have been writing about this forever. So if you want to pick up this topic and you want to find out a thousand years ago kind of what they were processing or how they were arguing, um, with the exception of the way they wrote, it would be nearly the same as how we talk and how we process this question today. So it's, it's nothing new to be working through this. If God is all-loving, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, then why would he allow the pain and suffering? Some of us have reworded it this way. 
if there is pain and suffering, then God must not be all-loving. The the compassion we talk about must not be true. Or he must not be all-knowing, like he doesn't really have a grasp of what might happen or what might be uh, ahead. Or he might not be all-powerful. Maybe he can't stop things. And so we start to process and think about it that way. And if we're not careful, we start to, to warp and create our own theology on this based on just the question of asking why in our head. The better way, I think, for us this morning is to look at God's Word a bit and make sure we're seeing what is it? Does the Bible even talk about this subject And then where do we go from here? So, could I direct you to the book of Ecclesiastes? Uh, Last summer, if you'll remember, we actually did a whole series through Ecclesiastes. So, some of this uh, is a little bit of overlap, um, and all of that is online at windoverhills.org. You can actually go and listen to those if you want a little bit more in-depth to these scriptures from Ecclesiastes. Solomon, who we're told in the the book is the wisest man uh, of all, uh, Solomon is actually wrestling with this question. And he's wrestling with this question of of things that are under the sun. And when he says under the sun, he means things here on earth. And when he looks at and he sees these things, he is interpreting them as there is such meaninglessness in this world. I mean, they're just, I look at these things and they just, they don't carry the joy, the satisfaction, the meaning that I thought of. He talks about work. He talks about hobby. Uh, he talks about all of these, these type of the striving for, the money, all, all, and yet he finds it meaningless. Well, take a look at what he says, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 16. He says this, and I saw something else under the sun. One of the 29 times in the book he uses that phrase. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there as well. Like, do you understand what, what he's saying is when he looks and he says where, where judgment and justice should be, I'm seeing wickedness. Like, I'm seeing evil. I'm seeing the bad stuff prevail when it seems like justice and the right thing should be there instead. Now, you could probably nod your head right now and say, yeah, I've, I've seen that. I, I understand where Solomon's coming from. And you could interpret it into some contemporary context right away. Uh, verse, chapter 4, verse 1, he says it this way. Again, I observe all the oppression that takes place under the sun. And then he describes this oppression and he says there's tears of the oppressed. He saw the powerful that they lorded over the victims who he called helpless. And then in verse 3 of chapter 4, like he, he actually asked the question, who hasn't seen this evil? None of us, right? I mean, we've all seen it. So we find that Solomon is addressing this in in the Old Testament. And then he hits this in chapter 8, verse 14. And this is not all that is meaningless in our world. In this life, good people are often treated as though they were wicked. And wicked people are often treated as though they were good. Can you see what he's saying here? He's really asking the same question and and making these declarations that it seems like bad people have good things happen to them and good people continually have bad things happening to them. And he calls this meaningless. 
meaningless. There's no value to this. Some of our translations of your Bible, if you're looking at it right now, say, this is smoke. You want to understand what he's saying? There's, there's no substance to it at all. And that's what Solomon is getting out here. I mean, he's wrestling with this, even back there. So this brings us to this question to continue. Why would, in the world, would God allow this, this pain and this suffering? Well, there's, to help us understand this this morning, there's really just three words in your outline that I, I want to walk through with you this morning and I want to process. I want to describe who God is, what he does for us, and what it opens the door to as well. If you got in here and you didn't get a sermon outline and you want to make sure you're, you're able to track with these three words, um, just slip up your hand if, if you'd like and Pastor Anson um, will come and, and, uh, and get it to you. Yeah. Let's take a look at this. Uh, number one, uh, we need to understand that the supreme ethic that describes God, like the number one thing that describes who God is, and it's also our deepest desire in life, is love. Like that's the number one thing that describes God, love. I mean, how often have you heard the phrase, God is love? Now, you might think, oh, well, there's a ton of things in the Bible that say God is, and then there's something attached to that, but that's actually not accurate. You see, if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will see many times where we learn things that Christ is, and there's this number of characteristics or metaphors or descriptions about who Christ is, and even comparisons as it describes Jesus' connection and relationship with God the Father. But if we take the term God, and we say, how many times in God's word does it say God is? Not too many. We know of at least two that are attached to this word exactly. And they say God is love. Take a look at one of them. It's found in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. Whoever does not love does not know God because, say it with me, will you? God is love. Yeah. And we declare that. Like, that is the chief attribute of who God is. That is his chief ethic, that God is love. And we know, and we often say that God loves us. Like, and, but there's more to it. You and I were created in God's image. We find that from the very beginning. So it would make sense that if God's chief and supreme ethic is love, that for you and I, he has designed us that way as well. To love, to receive love. That is a chief component of this, love, because that's who God is. And I wonder if you'd agree with me that really our greatest desire is to be loved. We strive for it. Really, our whole life, we'll do incredible things to be loved. Now, some of us like to say, you know, hey, we're, we're strong, manly men and stuff, and we don't like to use the word love But if I could pick apart your life, I probably could make a pretty strong case that you're driven to be loved as well. That is this pursuit, the pursuit of love that we have. Now, when you're little, right, um, you want the love of your parents. When you're small, you may not even speak yet, but you can somehow, you can feel and know the love of your parents. 
the love of your friends as you start to get older and you have those type of friendship connections. Somewhere around middle school or high school, you know, you start to develop some other love. You can't even figure out what it is, but uh, it's this romantic thing. You know, you see this girl or guy and you're like, hey, whoa, they got it going on. And, um, and you start to have some type of feelings there and some uh, type of other pursuit happens. Um, why, like, why would we go to such trouble in relationships? I mean, why would we risk, like, trying to actually ask somebody out? Love. We may not be ready to say, I love you, but love is leading that and guiding that. Like, why in the world would you get married? Right? Love, right? I mean, if you want to just go through the stats and all the troubles that sometimes married people or people that have, their marriages are broken up, I mean, you... You could have a lot of deterrence, but love drives you, right? And you'll stand before the altar and you will say different things, different vows that affirm that love. Like, follow me here. Why in the world would you have kids? I mean, think about it a second. That kid, when that kid is born, for the first few years of your life, that kid is a taker to the highest degree, a taker. They're not a giver at all. I mean, you may say, oh, but they smiled at me. They, gave, they didn't give you anything, right? They need to be fed. They need uh, everything. You know, parents, right? Um, and then uh, they get old enough where, you know, they're just old enough. You can kind of have a good time. And, and then they flip into some crazy teenage years that you're trying to figure out as well, you know, for a while. And then before you know it, um, you're standing over their bed at about 6 in the morning watching them sleep. Because, you know, this is the last week before you take them off to college. And, um, you know, and there's tears. Sheree's tears. I didn't cry. Men. I didn't cry, men. Oh. Why would you have kids? You see, the, the des- deepest desire God would have is for us to love him back. Our deepest desire is to love and to be loved back. To look at our kids and to have our kids love us back. When we have our kids, you might have a two-year-old who's screaming and crying um, and is messy all the time. You might wonder, I wonder if they'll ever love me back. You may have just had an explosion with your teenage son or daughter, and you wonder, will will there ever be uh, love here? Or maybe it's uh, an adult child that has gone their way, and you know the relationship is estranged, and you're wondering, will we ever connect back? Love drives us because that's who God is. He's designed us that way as well. So this this supreme ethic that is God and our deepest desire is love. And we have to understand that. And love, it's always a risk. Why? Well, it leads us to our second part this morning. uh, That love doesn't exist without freedom. Love doesn't exist without the ability to choose. Like the free will to accept or reject like, that's just a component of love. We found at the very beginning of God's word, he actually put Adam and Eve in the garden. He says uh, to, to the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Like, he gave him freedom right away. And, of course, he also told him, don't eat of the one tree. Even in that, he gave Adam the ability to choose whether to follow God or not. From the very beginning, we've given this. You might look at it and go, well, that sounds like a flaw that God put into the system, right? I mean, why didn't he just set it up where Adam could not disobey him? 
because that's not a component of love. See, this component of love is, is that freedom comes with it. And his deepest desire is for like you and I to love him. And he's created us, though, with the ability to choose that or to reject that. Because freedom is what he's designed within love. Galatians 5.1 says it this way, So Christ has truly given us freedom. Freedom. Freedom is dangerous for us. It, it gets us into struggles and, struggle, and troubles sometimes as well. But it accentuates this love God would have for us. What if God had just chosen us to, to love him? Like, like he had just chosen us to say, um, robot style, you have to love me. Yeah, you have to do that. Like he, what if you and I, like we could program into somebody, right? I mean, we're getting pretty techie, savage in our, in our day and age. Like they could program in someone where they would have to follow you, obey you or love you, or however you want to describe that. They wouldn't have any choice. Some of you are like, well, that'd be a pretty good start. <laughs> be nice. Would it be love, though? Would it be love? If you're like, well, wait a second, Tom, are we talking about like every single time I tell them to take out the trash, they're like immediately off the computer and to the trash can, and they're taking out the trash? And or would that mean like, like every single time I say clean up your room, like boom, it's clean. Like it would never even get dirty um, because they'd be following that all the time. Would that be like you saying, uh, wives, like, you remember he's, like, he's going to always remember all those special days and do special things for me on those special days? Like, all of them? Like, even the lists I give him, uh, he's going to get all that list done? I mean, we could just go on and on and on if we program something in like that. Would it be love, though? Would you like a relationship with Siri? You know how that works on your phone? Hey, Siri. Oh, do you love me? I don't know what it says. You can try it right now. Um, but Siri's supposed to just do things for you, get things for you, get information at least for you. Um, would that be love? Um, it would be a little weird if you had that connection with your phone. You see, the greatest thing about love is always found in freedom that you would choose. Like I remember uh, taking the risk to want to, um, I guess you call it asking out, but it was like taking a little walk with Cherie before we really knew each other. That was a huge risk, right? But she had the freedom to say yes or to say no, and I had enough no's leading up to that, so I knew what that felt like, right? But the greatest joy was when she took that freedom to say yes, and we went. And then, I, you know, I was just my suave self and swept her off her feet and didn't quite happen quite that way. But if God, if his supreme ethic is love and his greatest desire is being for you and I to love him back, he would have to give us freedom. He'd have to give us freedom. Because the greatest joy we would, we would find is when somebody chooses to love us. We choose to love someone else. So God has designed us that way. Free choice, freedom to love. Now, you might already be putting the two and two together as we go to the third one here. If freedom opens up the door to understanding the greatest things of love, freedom also opens up the door to something else. Number three there, God's free gift, this choice, it results in both goodness and in pain. Goodness 
and pain. Because if I have the free will to love you and express my love for you, and if I can bring that as one of the greatest joys you'll ever experience is someone loving you, I can also go the other way with it. I can also express hate and pain. And this past week is a heavy week where this topic has been heavy for us. Uh, as we saw some of the events that played out first in Charlottesville, but they have swept now to other cities throughout our nation, some of the debate has quickly been shifted in areas where we are speaking, arguing, and missing that the core, the crux, the launch of everything we talked about this week is somebody standing and shouting on the other side, saying, not love, not will I love you and embrace you. Not do I want to take the risk to love you that in hopes that you might love me, but I'm going to express my hate for you and my divisiveness to you and my hope that you would just go and rot somewhere and die. That's a, those are things that are literally were shouted. You see, we have this free will, this freedom to, ex- ex- or to, see, to experience excuse me, the, the greatest joys of love but also the devastations of hate and pain and even sin. And so this free will brings in goodness and it brings in pain. You know, it brings it in in really three different ways, I think. Uh, and these won't be new to you, but let me just make sure I put them in context for us today. One is our own poor decisions, right? We've all done it. We make poor decisions in our life. We choose to buy something at one moment and two months later we're like, I thought I could pay for that. Um, and there's painful things. We get into relationships that we know we should not get into. Um, and on and on and on. Those are painful things that we bring into our life. And we, we deal with the pain and the struggle of it. There's also when other people make poor decisions. They did it. It wasn't our fault. But guess what happens? You have to reap the pain and the suffering often of somebody else's poor decision. But if we step back, we also have to understand we live now in a world that has freedom. That, that, the world that is a mix for thousands now of years of people saying yes to good and godly things and others saying no and rejecting good and godly things. We live in a world of rejection. Therefore, we live in a world that brokenness is everywhere and that we deal with the difficulties of that every single day. And though there's at times where it's clearly I can call it my fault, and then it's clearly someone else's fault that I can name that person, there are many other times where the brokenness of our world brings us pain and suffering and difficulty as well. I don't know about you, but I've wrestled often and said, okay, I get it, God. I get your love, I get your freedom. Why don't you just eliminate the pain from, from when we are about to deal with it, from those situations? You can still love me, and I can still make some choices, but why don't you just eliminate it? But as I study this and understand this more, what I, I wonder if we're looking deep at this, what we're really asking when we do that, that if God would eliminate, if he should eliminate that, then we're, he's also eliminating this world with freedom, with free choice. He's taking that away from us. And in taking away from free choice and the freedom to respond to him, then he's taking away his love as well. Certainly, the love that we would describe in God's word would not be the same. Where there's no love, there's, 
there's no love without freedom, and there's, there's no freedom without the possibility of pain. They go hand in hand. And so God's great design to love us and give us choice also at times brings with it difficulty and pain. But here's the problem this morning. That if you understand the existential reasoning and connection, it doesn't change the pain that you're going through right now. And what you really want, what you really want this morning is for God to eliminate the pain and for somehow for you to be able to not deal with it because it's hard every single day. And sadly for many, they run from God at this time, a God who loves them. But you know, this morning as I look out, uh, I know you all very well. Some of you, you're in church today because of pain. Pain drove you back to church. Uh, for, for others of you, um, that it was such a painful situation that you sat and you talked with somebody and they shared how they overcame their suffering and pain as well, or how they processed it, and they inserted the name of Jesus into that. And you decided to come and, and check it out and to be here this morning. And we're glad that you are. Because our understanding of God's Word and our strong belief is that though just coming to church and starting to make a, have a relationship with Christ does not eliminate some of the things we deal with in our world and some of the brokenness and some of the things that bring pain, that we have one, a Savior who will walk with us, who will give us strength, give us power, and give us ability to work through and to make it through whatever difficult. And if it's us that have blown it, he's a God who brings restoration to us, forgiveness, and puts us back on track. There's a very rare uh, disease that kids are born with, about a 200 uh, cases worldwide, where there is actually zero feeling of pain whatsoever. Zero feeling. I read an article this week about a mom who, who uh, gave birth to a young girl, and they learned this right away, that, that there, was, there was no feeling of pain. Now, most of these kids make it to about three or four years old uh, because eventually something happens that uh, without the ability to, to know something is wrong or there is pain, um, it often leads to terrible uh, situations. This mom in the article spoke about crying herself to sleep after her young baby just bit at her fingernails so strong till they were bleeding because the baby couldn't feel the pain. Eventually, the mom, a believer in Christ, would stand over the, the crib and then bed and pray every night one prayer. And the article said she prayed, Lord, please, please let my child feel pain every night. Could it be this morning that some of the pain and suffering that we go through is often a way of God being able to redirect our lives? The way for us to feel and know something's off, something's wrong, And then a way, as we would believe, to draw us back into connection with God and into relationship with God. This morning, if that's you and you're dealing with something, I just want to direct you back to a God who loves you. He certainly gives you the freedom to this morning to say yes to him or to walk out and say, no, that doesn't sound like enough for me because he loves you that much. But my prayer for you is that you would choose that route so that you're walking 
with your pain, your suffering with a God who loves you. It's been said already that we're a church family who wants to bless you and love you as well. And we want to be a part of that. But as I've seen over the years, no church family can even replace what God has to offer. Our job is to supplement and work within that. So let me pray for you this morning, especially if you're going through something painful. So can I lift, lift you up this morning? Would you bow and pray with me? Father, we lift up your name. and Thank you that you're a God who loves us. And Father, there are times when um, I know I confess, I declare, Lord, thank you for your love, but I'm asking for something else. I'm asking for something more. Uh, This morning, Lord, if there be anyone in here, anyone who hasn't understood the depth of your love for them, Lord, would you just shower down right now? Would it just like dump on them to a degree that they're just overwhelmed by how much you care and you love them this morning? And then, Father, could, could we just recognize, even logically, that we have the ability to choose to say yes and to say no. And sometimes our no has been the cause of our own struggle, and sometimes it's been somebody else's no. And that we deal with pain. And that though your word never promises that you're going to eliminate that, in fact, your word actually says that it is not until we all assemble in heaven Lord, that that you will have full and complete reign. That Satan is, is just looking who he can devour here on earth. But you do say in your word, Lord, that you will walk with us. You say in your word things like we'll run and not grow weary and that you will soar on wings like eagles. You say in your word that your burden is light, our burden's heavy, uh, and you say you want to switch. So Lord, this morning, if there be anyone in here who's been walking completely uh, with their pain and suffering on their own, independent of you, I pray this would be a morning that their yes would be saying, Lord, yes to a relationship with you, starting to connect with you, to learn more about what you have to offer their life, and to learn how you'll walk hand in hand with them through whatever difficulties we might face in life. Lord, we want to pray that you would bind the enemy in any lies that Satan might tell us that keeps us from finding victory over our pain. And so, Lord, now, um, if there be even one this morning, I'm going to pray for just full, full victory and surrender to you this morning. Whatever it is, relationship, finance, Uh, Maybe you can't even describe what it is. You're not even sure what the origin. You just know it's painful. And trust a God who loves you. We pray it in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Hey, this week, um, I'd love to talk to you more about this and Pastor Anson as well. And I just, if there's anything going on in your life and you're just like, hey, I I need to process this a little bit more or I need to process this with you in my own context of what's going on in my life, my being you, um, please let us know. Um, You can use the card that uh, the usher's about to come around. You can use that card and just just write on there, hey, need to talk to a pastor or need to talk to you, Tom. However you'd like to say uh, would be great. 
Hey, uh, we are tearing down today, so if, uh, if, you've, if you've never uh, volunteered in any way, you, you were really hoping to come to the volunteer pool party today, you get one last great area of service today to help us tear down, and we'll call you a volunteer. But we hope we see you all uh, at 3.30, and it's a good celebration, and uh, um, that uh, uh, catered food and, and pool party, it's going to be a good time uh, today as well. Next Sunday, we'll start setting up again, and... Um, we really would love to see some new faces help us with the setup. So if you would volunteer some of your time to come a little early, help us set up, maybe go grab a donut with your kid or so, um, it, it can be a good morning and uh, maybe opportunity to, to meet some new people at the church as well. So, all right. Uh, well, let's invite our ushers. If you would come and take up a, a morning offering, um, like always.